Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the NOMCAST, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week we preview and review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course our fellow critics and podcasters. The NOMCAST is available on NOMCASTpod.com or wherever you get your podcasts, on the socials at NOMCASTpod, and is a part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Cracking One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith. And I'm Andrew Tejada. I am a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a freelance writer with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a film and its connection to the DC animated movie universe, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This is yet another DC Animated Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC Animated Podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codenamed Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codenamed Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. Which is coincidentally the year that The Phantom came out in movie theaters. Ooh. It's a superhero movie where the guy's in a purple jumpsuit. Does he have any powers? I don't know. I think he just runs around in a purple jumpsuit punching people. I think that's his thing. Speaking about people who just dress up and run around and punch people, I think that's a good segue for our movie in which our title character here is the one and only Batman. Yes, yes. For the first and many times you'll see in the DCAU, Batman is the lead character. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Big surprise. And today we're going to talk about his experience meeting his son for the very first time. This is going to give a quick shout to Maury Povich, who I feel is probably an inspiration for this, because as you mentioned, Batman has this son and he is indeed the father. Yes. And this is just like every Maury episode, a very big surprise for him. All right. And now it's time to dive into the movie Batman, Son of Batman. Mm-hmm. Based on the 2006 comic by Grant Morrison and Andy Cooper, this movie released in 2014 was directed by Ethan Spaulding, and it introduces Batman's third of four biological children in the DC multiverse. The great thing about this is that this is the first of many times that throughout this entire universe that we see pre-Flashpoint storylines pop up in the new 52 universe. At a runtime of 74 minutes, we're introduced to a majority of the voices of the Bat family, with Jason O'Mara returning as Batman, Stuart Allen as Damian Wayne, Thomas Gibson as Deathstroke, Marina Bakarin as Talia al Ghul, Sean Mayer as Nightwing, David McCallum as Alfred, and my favorite casting of all, Giancarlo Esposito as Raz al Ghul. You need him to play every villain in every movie. I don't know why this isn't a law yet, because 
anytime he walks into a film, it, it's just better. I don't know a bad film oh, yeah. with him. I, I, I literally don't. You're right. And we get to see that essence of villainy pop up in the very first scene where we open up to a wonderful, serene location filled with ninja assassins. Oh, yeah. They are whipping out their swords and practicing slashing their foes, just having a good time. Ra's al Ghul is with his daughter Talia and his grandson Damien. They're having a great time watching the ninjas go at it. And then a group of similarly dressed ninjas, literally, <laughs> I'm going to get right into this about a problem I have with the opening. The ninjas that Ra's al Ghul has and the ninjas that attack Ra's al Ghul look exactly the same. Their headbands are slightly different. And yes, they have guns instead of swords, but like you couldn't have chosen a different color or a, <laughs> like a band around the arm because you're just looking you're like, who's winning? I, I can't tell. Is it the guy with the guns? I guess. You know who is winning though? Talia Al Ghul because I swear she is, her motherly instincts kicked in, but like assassin motherly instincts. She grabs Damien. She's sliding down the shingles off the roof. She's shooting arrows and hitting helicopters. The arrow went through the helicopter. I don't know how strong you have to be to pull the arrow back that far, but to do that and then to still keep on going, her cardio, just like Batman, is just really a thousand percent. I mean, it's fitting. If you want to keep up with Batman, you got to have that cardio up. So while Talia is using her unlimited arrow gun to shoot unlimited arrows at the approaching helicopters, Rachel Ghoul is cornered by a bunch of ninjas and who should step out in the middle of the ninjas but our favorite assassin that isn't all these other assassins, Deathstroke. Yes, I am a personal fan of Deathstroke. He has been in almost every single version of DC villainy that you can ever see. He is there in the Teen Titans. He is there for Batman. And to have him introduced here in this new way is such a fun treat because you see him go toe-to-toe with, well, I will say this really quickly, Raz or Raish. Both are accepted, I have learned. We're so going to go apologies. in between them. <laughs> yes, we will be going back and forth in between them. But you get to see the two, Deathstroke and Ra's al Ghul, fight against each other in this beautifully animated sword fighting, gunfight. And as this is happening, Damian Wayne, who is now traveling through, trying to make his way to survive himself, trying to get to his grandfather as Deathstroke continues to hold his own against the leader of the League of Assassins to the point where Ra's al Ghul is now burned alive from a bomb that goes off. Yes, Deathstroke set him up, had a missile fire into Ra's al Ghul's face because if you're unfamiliar with the character before this, his main thing is that he has a Lazarus pit, this pit that can revive him from the brink of death. So Deathstroke knows that if you want to kill Ra's al Ghul, you can't just stab him once and call it a day. You got to make sure this guy is super dead. So he sends a missile at Ra's's face. Ra's is real messed up, burned, mm-hmm. crispy. And Damien comes and sees his grandfather Ra's lying on the ground. He gets a little upset and he decides, guess what? I'm going to go stick that guy in the eye. And he just stabs Deathstroke right in the eye. Which is my favorite Easter egg of this whole film because Destro's character is known for having this eye patch. 
He's a one-eyed assassin. That's what makes it just so awesome about him. And to have Damian Wayne be the one to stab him in the eye was just a cherry on top. But additional cherries were added. And this I love this line every single time I watch this film. As Damian stabs him in the eye, he just yells out, now for your heart. And he just keeps going. And it's just having this moment of Damian Wayne. You see his badassery in this right now. He knows he's an assassin. He knows he could take on this fight, even against a man who is at least 10 times his age, possibly. Oh, yeah, at least. He's a silver fox. (laughs) 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 So... As Damien and Deathstroke are fighting, Talia's trying to make her way back to find everybody. And unfortunately, at this point, Roz has tried to make his way to the Lazarus Pit, but doesn't make it. And he is now perceived by all his League of Assassin members, by Talia, by Damien, as this unfortunately charred corpse. He reaching out to revive himself, and it's no longer possible because Raz al Ghul is dead. But there is no time to mourn because we are back in Gotham City. Batman is fighting Killer Croc and he is on steroids. And I'm not making that up. Killer Croc literally says, yo, Batman, I'm on steroids. That's why you can't beat me now. (laughs) And Killer Croc is just giving Batman the business. But luckily, Talia shows up at the last second, electrocutes Killer Croc, just leaves him on the floor there and says, hey, why don't we go talk on my boat? And Batman's like, all right, I haven't seen you in a, a bit. And Talia puts on this real skimpy dress. She's putting the moves on Batman. And then when he's like, yo, what's going on? She goes behind a curtain and says, here's your son, Damien. And this scene is one I love and hate because if Batman had gone for Talia right then and there, would, would they have gotten down and dirty and Damien's on the other side of this curtain. <laughs> oh, 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 no. <laughs> the weird part is, is that, like, I feel like Damien will just, I'm going to give them space, leave, and just roam around Gotham. But also, no, oh, no. Yeah, it, it's a great demonstration of who Talia is. Like, she literally does not care. But, you gross. <laughs> and also, we have to tackle the Talia-sized elephant in the room, where... This film doesn't directly say this, but it heavily implies that Talia drugged Batman. They had relations Mm -hmm. and she just didn't tell him that he had, it resulted in a son. So yeah, Talia is, yeah, Talia assaulted Batman. That is something that happened in, in this continuity. Yeah. It's, Something that pops up in the comics too, but we will get to that because now that Talia has revealed to Bruce that Damien is here and that Bruce has a son, she leaves him with Bruce because she feels that in order to protect Damien and herself from what's going on in this coup that just occurred, she needs to separate the two of them. And the only person that could protect Damien better than her is his father. So Damien and Bruce are now in the Batmobile. There's a funny little joke that comes up a lot of Damien asking to drive the Batmobile, which Batman immediately shuts down. But as they're driving back, this is when Damien gets a chance to see, and us as well, a chance to see this new 
52 DCAU Batcave, which is reminiscent, honestly, of the Batcave that we see in Batman, the animated series, Batman Beyond. It just has all the little Easter eggs that we love and enjoy about the Batcave. And as he's there, he's talking with Alfred to really understand what's going on because now Batman realizes that the person who has kind of been in his life, one of his greatest adversaries is gone. So he's talking that over with Alfred while Damien is now just roaming around the Batcave and then eventually into Wayne Manor. And you get to see more of this, who is Damien Wayne? Like, what is his dynamic? What is his personality? How is he like Batman? If he is like Batman, is he a kid? We don't really know because his mannerisms are just so adult-like. And you can see that play out in this level of privilege where he's wondering why Alfred is the only servant in his father's home. Yeah, he immediately is like, where are the other servants in this huge mansion? Which honestly, fair question. It is a big house. (laughs) They do mention they have a gardener. So I'm wondering, do they have other rotating staff? And the other thing to note here is that even though Alfred is just one person, he is dry enough for 30 people because his sarcasm in this movie is at the highest and most powerful levels I have ever seen Alfred go. It is... (laughs) just a marvel to see him work that humor of alfred i think echoes throughout every single version of him that you'll ever see and it's just amazing because you know that in every serious batman film even in a film like this where we didn't even know what to expect from this batman you were guaranteed to at least have a little smile on this on your face knowing that alfred was going to drop this joke and this continues on into the next morning with Bruce seeing Damien, his skill set, really, as Damien is now outside with a sword, just chopping up the topiary, destroying the garden, honestly. (laughs) And I can sense it in Alfred that he wants to say something about this. Those poor grass elephants never stood a chance. They just get sliced. And Bruce is wondering, what do I do with this kid? And like any responsible father, he says, Alfred, you deal with him. He's going to stay here all day, make sure he stays. And Alfred's like, no problem, homie. And as soon as Bruce gets to work, Damien is at the computer telling Bruce that one of his employees is shorting him millions of dollars, potentially. (laughs) And he is the boss of that office and is like, look, we don't need to waste time doing normal work. We need to get on the case. We need to go and kill Deathstroke. And this is when one of the movie's major themes really becomes clear right away. Batman tells Damien, we don't kill. Batman and his allies do not kill people. I know that's how you were raised, but this is how it is. And Damien's like, nah, that's not going to work for me. We definitely going to have to kill this guy. So you already see this key tension forming between those two. And is Damien's point valid? I would say yes, mainly because right now at this point, Deathstroke and his informant on the League of Assassins, Ubu, have now made their way over to Gotham. They have found evidence that they are there. And we also get a cut scene over to this doctor working in his lab, mixing around his chemicals. And we are then shown that is actually Dr. Kirk Langstrom. This is a famous Gotham villain by the name of Man Bat. He is a um, scientist that created a formula that turned himself into a bat and that ends up being something that Deathstroke now wants. He kidnaps this man's entire family while they're at home having dinner 
And as they're talking, it's clear that Dr. Kurt Langstrom is working with Deathstroke, or at least he was working with Ra's al Ghul because Deathstroke saying that he has now taken over the League of Assassins and all of his operations. So he wants to know more about this project that Dr. Kirk Langstrom is working on. And as this is happening, we see that Damien and Batman have split ways going back to that scene. He is trying to figure out more about Damien. He's also learning more and more about the fact that Rachel Ghoul has passed. I really enjoyed this one scene about it because we never got a chance to see Batman show much emotion throughout content of comics or media or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But in this one moment, we get to see kind of a silent grieving that Batman has for this one man. Somebody that has been in his life, it seems like possibly for years. Is it a father figure? No, but it's still somebody that was in his life. And it's you hear it more in his voice than you do see it in his actual actions. At this point, we find out that uh, Damian Wayne has now broken out and escaped because, like we said, he's found evidence that Ubu has made his way into Gotham City. So while Ubu is in a hotel with some, some, some women. Yes, uh, <laughs> some friendly women he paid for company to have. Ubu is now feeling that he's being watched. So as soon as he comes up to the final door that he tries to open, Damian Wayne drops in. And honestly, I think this is an amazing scene of fighting because Damian is like 12 years old, Mm -hmm. but he has the skills of someone who's been practicing martial arts for, for ages. You see it in his jumping ability, his ability to, to dodge bullets and gunshots and everything. And it's amazing to see that we have so much potential in this one little being who's honestly pretty much a dick. Yeah, and we also have to mention that Ubu is jacked. In the past two episodes, we have had extreme amounts of jacked people. Here, it's a realistic amount. It's just one jacked henchman. I appreciate that they toned it down a little bit for us. They heard our request, but he is pretty jacked. (laughs) But Damien manages to use his size, his speed, his technology against Ubu to take him down to the point where he almost has Ubu dead to rights. Like he's about to do it. And who should sweep in but Nightwing at the last second, which was a, I love this swerve because you're expecting Batman to swing in and stop Damien at the last second, of course. But instead, it's Nightwing, just hanging out in Gotham, visiting Barbara, maybe. And he and Damien get into a fight. We don't see the intricacies of the fight, but we see Nightwing is slashed up. He, he ties Damien up and calls Bruce and is like, yo, is this guy yours? <laughs> yes. And I love that scene because it's just what well, Nightwing is honestly my favorite DC character of all time. Probably my favorite comic book character of all time. So to have him introduced in this way to show that he still is a man of his own, but still a part of this family that grew to become the hero that he is, is just amazing. And knowing that he could still handle this League of Assassins trained teeny bopper is just so amazing so we go now to the back cave where alfred is stitching up nightwing and as they're talking nightwing just starts joking about the fact of all the conversations about protection that bruce has given him <laughs> over the years and this is what he brings to our home animators if you're listening please give me the scene where batman explains the birds and bees to nightwing please <laughs> just just give it to me 
I don't care where you release it. You could release it as like a two minute sketch. I need this. I need to see Batman explain this. <laughs> and this entire time as he's getting stitched up, Damien is just commenting back on it. And also really starts sticking into the claim that he is the biological son. There is no other Robin that could take him out of this place of being Batman's true son. To which <laughs> Nightwing just responds back with authority on this. And he just tries to get out his words of saying that maybe he should just shut up. But Alfred stops him in time. And this leads into now a bit more of the Nightwing and Damian Wayne banter that we actually see a lot in the comics that echoes out really well on screen of Damian looking at the Robin suit and just wondering about the many questions, including why were there no legs on the pants? And (laughs) as they're looking at it, Nightwing is saying that, you know, he'll never fit these these shorts, really, I guess you can say. (laughs) Nor should he. Yeah. Batman has entered. He is finding out more and more about this plot that Deathstroke is a part of. He investigates this random abandoned building. And upon there, he sees that there are different animals in cages, and all of which happen to have the characteristics of a bat. And then the scariest one of all was a gorilla. Yeah, he was huge. He was fierce. And Batman really had no good moves against him. And fortunately for Batman, they both fell a significant amount of distance. And that's what led to uh, Gorilla Bat being killed. Or maybe it was just fresh oxygen. I don't know. Maybe his (laughs) immune system wasn't good. We don't actually know what killed Gorilla Bat, but (laughs) it wasn't Batman. I'll tell you that much. He had no chance against a Gorilla Bat hybrid. Nor would we. No shade to Batman, but yeah, no chance. (laughs) So we cut back to Batman's now entered the Batcave after fighting against Gorilla Bat. And he's watching the news reports because he's finding more and more evidence of Dr. Kirk Langstrom's and Deathstroke's team up. At this point, he's informed about the fight with Nightwing, the fight with Ubu, the fact that Damian Wayne has for a second time left the Wayne Manor, even though he has strict instructions not to. And this was a moment of discipline i feel that came out of batman as he was possessed like a bat out of hell pun intended and (laughs) pushes his chair away because damien says something along the lines of he should have let him finish the job of, of taking out ubu so as soon as batman hears this he pushes the chair away nightwing catches it and he's just like oh crap this is it it's about to go down and batman unleashes just wave after wave of how disrespectful Damien is, how unnecessary his actions were, how we don't live by this code of you must kill your enemies because otherwise they see you as weak. And all of this gets to a boiling point that we finally reached after maybe about 20 to 30 minutes of Damien Wayne acting the fool this entire time. Yeah, he is catching up on all those years that he missed to discipline Damien now. (laughs) And once again, reinforcing that, I don't know if this is the exact point he says it or not, but he says something to the extent of, you've never had family. You've never had friends. All you've had are trainers. Mm -hmm. So he tells Damien, this isn't all there is to life. It's not just killing and slashing people, even though you're extremely good at it. And if you're going to roll with me, you're going to have to change 
how you approach things. And the combination of discipline and the words has Damien say, not okay. He doesn't agree to it right away, but he does say, you know what? I'll give your way a shot. And mm-hmm. he makes his own modifications to the Robin costume, which leads to my favorite Robin costume. It has the sharp gauntlets on his arms. It has a hoodie, which I just love, and a sword. It just comes with <laughs> a sword. I mean, come on. How do you get a cooler Robin than that? And this is the moment that we finally see Robin rise here with Damian Wayne as the new holder of the mantle. He goes out with Batman. They meet up with Commissioner Gordon in this iconic scene of here we have Batman and Robin speaking with you know, with Gordon right now. And Gordon kind of plays around the fact of just like, oh, man, is this another one you got? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also love during that scene that Gordon is trying to talk about a, a phone sex line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he censors himself. So I just want to have to think <laughs> that Gordon is so used to this that he's like, oh, let me self-censor myself against a tiny crime-fighting hero that is attached <laughs> to the other crime-fighting hero in this city that dresses like a bat. Like, this is just commonplace for him, which <laughs> really says a lot about Gotham. <laughs> They actually find that on the paper that was included on the phone number that the paper itself is a ticket to a stadium. Wait a minute, a stadium? Are you talking about the Cyborg Stadium that sat (laughs) 50 million people from Justice League War? I would hope not because this stadium was so run down. So unless our conversation about how much money they spent on this stadium was only for a one-time showing. <laughs> the economy immediately tanked by building the stadium like, like it does for the Olympics. Look it up, people. It's a real thing. And yeah, it just fell into immediate disrepair. So they decide to go over to find the stadium and find out what's going on. At the same time, a group of assassins are making their way over to a snowy mountainside. I also love how serene all these places look before an assassin attack. Yeah. <laughs> they attack the building and it's revealed that it's Talia al Ghul, who has gathered her own set of League of Assassin members to take down Deathstroke once and for all. This does not go well. Everybody is killed except for Talia, who is then knocked out and kidnapped by Deathstroke. Yes. And the thing with Talia, I've held back on this as long as I could, but wow, with her design, every Talia outfit has her cleavage out, <laughs> like fully exposed. And look, if you were trying to sell me that she's supposed to be doing a femme fatale thing where she's trying to seduce men or distract targets while getting close to them, I could at least have that in-universe justification. But she is storming a base full of the most dangerous assassins in the world, including the one that killed her father, and she has her cleavage out? Animators. Chill. Chill. (laughs) Yeah, we need to get some proper armor for the League of Assassins, specifically Talia All Cool. Just have her zip, let her zip up her chest, please. Jesus, guys, (laughs) come on. Also, it was cold, man. She's in the mountains. You're right. She's in the mountains. Her cleavage is out in the mountains. Oh, my God. I I mean, I hope we don't get demonetized or anything for saying cleavage a thousand times, but I just have to bring it up. (laughs) It, It was just, they're bringing it up in the movie, so we might as well bring it up here. But cleavage aside, 
we go back to the main story in the stadium. And this leads to perhaps my favorite line of the movie where Batman sees a flashback to his own youth because the stadium is near an amusement park. So he gets a flashback to going here with his father and having a good time. And he tries to reach out to Damien as a father instead of a mentor. And Damien basically tells Batman, like, I'm supposed to lead humanity. And Batman responds, how can you lead humanity when you've never been a part of it? This line really hits at the heart of what makes all the Batman and Robins who they are because they are these broken people. They are these people who have chosen to protect humanity and what anchors them is each other because this Bruce is still a recluse. Don't get me wrong. This Bruce still has tons of problems and should definitely visit therapy, but he has embraced the family. And you can see right in that moment that he wants the same for Damien. He wants Damien to have a root. He doesn't want him to just be a killer or a fighter or a Robin. He wants him to be a person. So I really love that they took the moment in the middle of all the action to look at Damien and say, you got to be human. This life is not enough. Yeah, that's... That's a really good point. And that's the most important thing about it, as you mentioned, about being this hero, being this character. And hopefully we get a chance to see that echo out more in more of Damien's journey. Unfortunately, Damien doesn't really take this to heart as upon finding Dr. Kirk Langstrom in the stadium, Damien attacks him instantly, throws him against the wall, and it's just this aggressive nature that you have to wonder, is Damien truly listening to Batman? Is he truly listening to his father? And once that happens, it goes right back into attack mode where we don't have a moment to have Batman look at him one more time and question this as they are now attacked by a swarm of man bats. Yep. The man bats descend and it leads to another hilarious moment that I didn't mean to be hilarious, but when the man bats first swarm down, Batman looks up and goes, man bats. Like he, he's done this before. <laughs> like, I'm like how many man bats have you fought, bro? That you're like, Oh, get out the man bats right now. Because he's so ready for it. I, I really felt bad for him in this moment, but I also couldn't help laughing that he had a prepared response for man bats. So as they are fighting against all of these man bats and they're able to get away, uh, they bring Dr. Langstrom over to Nightwing in the Batcave, who's now currently working on the antidote. They down decide to head over to find Langstrom's family, where during that point, once they find them, they also realize that Talia has been kidnapped by Deathstroke. At that moment, too, the daughter of Langstrom passes Damien this cell phone uh, or kind of like PDA, a mp4 uh, player sidekick yeah. <laughs> a nokia 3000 <laughs> right and on it is a video uh of deathstroke saying that this fight should not have included as many people as it should have this is between you and me the person who took out your grandfather the person who should have been like the heir to the league of assassin's throne 
So if you really want to come and save your mother, you come and fight me directly. No one else. And of course, Damien can't resist. He takes the bait, goes into the secret base by himself. Batman follows suit soon after. On the way in between this call, I have to mention this because this is another pet peeve I had in this movie. When Batman calls the Batcave, Kirk, the scientist, is working in the background and him and Nightwing are talking over comms. They're using their real names. <laughs> oh, He's yeah, like, Dick, where's Damien? I don't know, Bruce. Alfred's here. And I'm like, what, what are you guys doing? This <laughs> Secret is a guy. identities. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know you guys are like being nice to him, but you could use your code names. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And while Damien escapes, Batman figures out where he is. So he now goes to join in and save them all once again because now this is it this is the final fight we are seeing in this underground laboratory that deathstroke has created multiple versions of man bats using the league of assassin members as the the humans that will be turned into these creatures into this kind of i don't know like this air force that he's wanting to create for the league of assassins (laughs) during this whole exchange damien is fighting back and forth with deathstroke They're talking about who should be the true leader, how they came to this place, how Deathstroke should have been the heir to the throne and everything. And as Damien is trying to keep his cool, not trying to attack because his mother is now in the arms of Deathstroke with a gun pointed at both of them, Talia jumps in the middle of them and takes the bullet herself in such a heartbreaking moment because Damian Wayne has been a jerk throughout this entire film, but he's also dealt with so much loss in 74 minutes. He saw his grandfather die before his eyes, and now he's seeing as his mother is bleeding out in front of him. And this is all because of this one man, this one idea of this is how you're supposed to take it. And this honestly echoes out the same methodology that Damian had about becoming powerful and growing in the space and to become the leader that he needs to be of you have to take out all of your adversaries you have to take out anyone who could be seen as an opposition so having this connection and this parallel of his goals now being used against him it's understandable for Damien to be a little aggressive in what he needs to do in order to save his world and save his life and some semblance of it but as this is going down as Deathstroke is looking on and Damien is now looking on who will show up but Batman himself as he slides down some random tunnel that happens to be <laughs> like honestly probably like meters underwater because yeah. again they're in a random aquatic lab in the middle of nowhere and Batman <laughs> happens to find the one cave that leads into where they are. Yeah, I don't know if this was like remnants from Bioshock or something, but they they slide down into this underwater lab. And right now with Deathstroke realizing very quickly that he's outnumbered, he flees. Damien goes after him. And in a cool decision, Batman is the one who takes Talia into this locally very convenient Lazarus pit that just happens to be right there. And he takes her in and there's a tender moment between them where he makes sure that she's anchored to reality. Because when you use the Lazarus pit, it is very dramatic Mm -hmm. uh, to your psyche. And you can go crazy as Jason Todd if 
you are mishandled correctly. So Batman is very tender, despite the fact that this woman has lied to him, has been very violent. He takes the time. Insulted him. (laughs) Insulted him many times in many ways, but he takes the time to make sure she's okay, chooses peace in that moment, while Damien is up there giving the business to Deathstroke because he is amazing. Like, Damien... This is one of the best fight scenes in the movie. Arguably, maybe it is the best because I did like the Ubu fight, but this mm-hmm. fight is really good with Damien and Deathstroke trading blows. At one point, Damien gets stabbed in both of his arms oh, yeah. against the wall, and he gets out of that stab situation and keeps fighting like nothing happened. The, the way he got out is just the most gory part of the film as he's most people would you know take one hand and take out the knife that stabbed but when he's pinned with both he brings his arms forward so that they go through the entire blade mm. and is still fighting and i just really was shocked by that to see this come out of a 12 year old <laughs> yeah he's tougher than me if i got a splinter during that fight i'd be like all right maybe can we reschedule like can i get my vengeance later but nah damien kept going so the fight goes back and forth he he tries to take out deathstroke's other eye at some point which i really appreciated but at the end of the fight he uses smarts to get advantage of deathstroke he has deathstroke by the neck and deathstroke's like all right kill me like you learned finish it and robin's like no I'm not going to kill you because I'm going to learn a new way. Mm -hmm. And Batman shows up. And as we should mention, we kind of glanced over this, but it's a pretty big thing. Deathstroke tried to use the man bats against Batman, but he bought a bat signal that sent the man bats up the water tube. I know if none of this makes sense. I'm sorry, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> this whole this whole sequence, it's very good, but it, it is ridiculous underneath it. So the man bats get stuck in the water tube and they crack it. So the underwater base starts falling apart. So Batman and Robin decide they're going to get out. They're going to grab Talia, get out in this little submarine base and leave Deathstroke to die. <laughs> And this wonderful animation because it's just like chaos is literally raining down around him and he's just free falling through it all. It's really quite a strange ending to someone who, from from comic book knowledge, just plays a big part. It's great that we got a chance to see Deathstroke lose and Damian Wayne to, to win to finally get his revenge back. Uh, but again, you know, it's just really shocking to see Deathstroke get killed off pretty much in this first film. You know, I'm not sure if he's dead because I remember him showing up in a later film, I thought. But it's going to be a while. Either way, it's going to be a while yeah. before we see him in anything again. And this is like his pseudo end. Mm-hmm. So on the surface, Nightwing has the serum to turn the man bats into regular men. And 
<laughs> he just starts shooting man bats out of the sky with the serum. And again, I'm like, there's no way all of these man bats survived falling into the ocean. Oh, yeah, no. I'm pretty sure that some of these League of Assassin members have never done an aquatic mission, so they might not be swimmers. <laughs> yeah, and even if they were swimmers, the entire base is gone. You let them out mm. in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> They're going to die of exposure or something. Like, the Bat family in this movie... They won't kill you, but they will definitely leave you to die. <laughs> and that's because they got their own bat plane that they fly back to civilization. And as they are looking upon one another at the destruction they have caused, they decide that it is best that Damien stays with Bruce. Talia goes on to continue to build out the, the League of Assassins, which Bruce objects to, but separate parents, separate ways. So we close now with Damien saying his final line of requesting to drive the Batmobile and Batman saying no. And then that's it. Title cut. We have our son of Batman. That is our film. So if we had to rate this out of 10 man bats, how many man bats out of 10 would you give son of Batman? I will give this seven and a half man bats. I think they did a really great job in introducing Damian Wayne as a character. I felt like we really got a chance to see the dynamic between this new duo really come across strongly. I just personally felt that there were some things that were a bit rushed through, mostly the end fight. I just thought that maybe that could have been flushed out a bit more. I felt like there wasn't really any urgency for Damien, Deathstroke, Talia, and Batman to finally have met at that specific point. Absolutely agree. I'll go a hair lower, seven out of 10 man bats. I think there was a lot of things <laughs> I agree that were rushed through. I think a lot of plot points could have been fleshed out more. Kirk Langstrom's family, they were basically cardboard cutouts. Mm -hmm. There's a whole thing about, I'm still, still not sure how Killer Croc's story related to Batman yeah. finding out that it was related to Ra's al Ghul, that was really glanced over. They are related, to be clear, but mm -hmm. it wasn't really fleshed out how they are. And my last big criticism, which leads to my RTA alteration, is come on with Talia. <laughs> <laughs> I have to come back here because Talia is the only female character with a significant mm -hmm role in the plot the daughter and wife of kirk they do some things but very minor parts of the plot so when you have just one female character in your narrative and you're in a universe where there's so many great female characters i felt like with talia give her some more dimension give her some more motivation there's some yeah. vague things about oh i want to improve the world let us hear more about that yeah zip up her chest <laughs> and i think if we would have got just one more scene with talia and batman together where we either a flashback of how the mm. relationship started maybe they were both idealists until batman realized she will kill everybody to get her ideals or there was just another tender moment between them because they ended in a very good place mm -hmm. talia and batman are saying farewell batman tries to reach for talia's hand she pulls it away great you don't have to explain that but more context and more three-dimensional characteristics besides her breast would have been great <laughs> to see in the movie yes 
Definitely agree. All right. That was our film. And now it's time for that comic book knowledge where I talk about this film and this comic, how they connect, how did they differ, and some of those little middle grounds that they might have hit on. So the first thing I want to bring up is this section I would like to now call is All My Ghouls. Oh, all right. (laughs) First introduction is Damian Wayne. So he is the title character of our film. He is the son of Batman. He first appeared actually in the Son of Demon storyline back in 1987 as an unnamed cameo appearance it was connected to the kingdom come comic series that ended up coming out but this was the inspiration for grant morrison as he wanted to reintroduce batman following the events of infinite crisis and he did so by introducing damian wayne this was in issues number 655 to about 658 Mm -hmm. of the batman run back in 2006 with a story arc called batman and son which is now a collected edition. So in this, Talia has actually taken over the League of Assassins following the death of her father. And we see that she actually takes on more of this role that we saw with Deathstroke. She's the one who is leading this group of man-bat creations. And she's the one that's talking to Kirk Langstrom to create this these man-bats so that she can take over the world, which she's already starting to do by having some influence of taking over London. We also see Damian Wayne, once again, is a grown teenager who recognizes his father by when Talia's asking him to look at a closed circuit television recording of all of these different influencers that are at this party, and he pinpoints that Bruce is actually his father. This then leads into Bruce finding out himself once he gets kidnapped by Talia Ghoul and once he finds out about the man bat and Kirk Langstrom involvement that they have with them. So while he's there, he gets introduced to Damien and very similar into the movie of Damien walking up to him. It's just like, you know, I thought you would be taller. So Talia decides that it might be a good idea for Damien to stay with his father as she's doing this. So we get to see Damien and Bruce's dynamic play out actually less in this comic than we do in the film yeah so there was less development in the comic wow (laughs) 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 not to say this movie is underdeveloped in any way i'm just surprised because it was so big in this movie i'm just surprised to hear yeah we do see a lot of the same players come up like alfred is there and at this point tim drake is robin so he's taking on the role that dick grayson had that we see in the film i welcomed that change but the reason for this really underdeveloped dynamic between damien and bruce is because at the end of the day damien is actually still a plot tool for his mother as she's trying to go about with her massive plan she sees damien as somebody that can hinder his father enough so that she can take over the way that she wants to take over and Damien, if you thought he was a dick in the film, he's a he's just even more unbearable in this comic. <laughs> he just says out all the things of like he's the the blood right son, he should be taking over the throne. And honestly, there's like he decides to join in with his father to fight crime, as um, he likes to keep putting it throughout the entire series. But again, his method of crime fighting is in order to end it, you must kill it. There have been many times in which there's this one scene in which he takes out the decapitated head of someone that he went after 
to show that he too can fight crime just like his father which and at that moment that's when we kind of see that same angry batman disciplining his child come into play even though that's like a tuesday for the gotham city police department (laughs) decapitated criminal on 50th oh okay yeah Mm -hmm. we'll get to it after we get rid of all these man bats circling (laughs) and it's because of the fact that bruce knows that damien is really just a ploy to hide Talia's real true motives away, he keeps Damien more of an arm's length. I think we get to actually see more of an interaction with Damien, Tim Drake, and Alfred, because at this point, Damien is doing the same things, treating Alfred with very little respect. And at one point, he locks him away in the closet. He, (laughs) the entire fight that we saw with Dick Grayson and Damien in the movie is played out between Tim Drake and Damien. But in that one, Damien actually wins by almost killing Tim. He knocks him through a, a Robin suit and the inspiration of the version of the Robin suit that we see in the film comes from Jason Todd's Robin suit that we see in this comics. And during this entire time, Bruce is trying to handle the fact that his son is literally out of control. And it's also that Damien and Talia are just so unbearable to Bruce. He's trying to keep his distance away from them. But the more and more that they act up, the more he has to intervene to the point where Tim, as he was bleeding out, Damien is still trying to get that fatherly love from Bruce and say, you know, look, look at this. I was able to take down um, somebody who would have been my opposition, my adversary to the, to the throne, and that throne being the possibility of Batman. So since he was able to do this, we don't get to see this growing appreciation for the skill set that Damien has that we, as we do in the film. And honestly, if that's where a lot of people felt like the comic might have fallen short, It was really great when it was first introduced in the first couple of issues, but I think a lot of people, and I agree with it, they, in that last issue, it unfortunately was too fast paced. There was a quick turnaround. It ended with Talia revealing her plan and then ended up with Talia and Damien seeming as if they had blown up on the ship that Bruce was able to escape from. And the only thing that was left was Damien's tunic that he has stole from the Batcave. So they killed off Damien in his first comic arc? Kind yeah. of? Yeah, kind <laughs> of, yeah. <laughs> that is cold. I mean, <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of the kid, but let him live a life. <laughs> the next person I want to quickly talk about, too, is Talia al Ghul, who was first introduced in Detective Comics number 11 back in May 1971. She was always introduced as a love interest for Batman or Bruce. It was never truly certain that you know this is how it played out i think it was much later in history that they decided to go this route with the son of batman and her being more of the head of the league of assassins possibly a lot of it was always seen as her painted as a damsel in distress they first met after roz's attempt to take over gotham or something but then roz decided to really test to see if Batman was a true heir to his throne and the best husband for his daughter by organizing the kidnapping of her and Dick Grayson Robin, which Batman succeeded. So that's why he's always throughout comics and through all forms of entertainment and videos and everything. He's always referring to Batman as his heir and his son-in-law or something like that. 
we get to see more of her growing into this role opposite of just the love interest as she leads the League of Assassins, as I mentioned in this Batman arc with um, introducing Damian Wayne. She's the mastermind behind Leviathan. It was a group literally organized to stop Batman Incorporated, which was Bruce's <laughs> effort to create a global Batman presence. I'm really glad that they strayed away from this because all of that led into her becoming the number 42 top villain on the top villain list. That is pretty high. I would love to see who she beat out. Did she beat out like Deathstroke? Did she beat out the Polka Dot Man? Like who did she beat? I w- <laughs> Next time. Next time, on- yes. <laughs> we'll go through all 100. No, no, not next time. But one day, one day yeah. we'll go through 100. Well, I will say that she did beat out Thanos. Wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. Thanos? Thanos, Yes. Are we talking about one drop of blood Thanos? Yep. (laughs) And the reason why she beat out Thanos is because of all these things that I listed already. But the other person that beat out Thanos and beat her was our number seven top villain of all time. And my next person to talk about, Rachel Ghoul. Rachel Ghoul's this man. Uh, he's been introduced since 1971 uh, in Batman number 232. His name roughly translated from Arabic, hence the, the reason why we went back and forth for our pronunciation of his name between Rachel and Raz, is head of the demon. As I mentioned, he's the number seven top villain of all time. And that's because his main goal was to attain perfect environmental balance. So yes, we get to hear these like Thanos-like vibes for the MCU fans out there. But instead of just half, Roz was cool with just getting rid of everyone. He was like, "Human humanity is a cancer. That's what That was his mission. He saw them as a cancer and felt like the only way to truly save the world was to get rid of all humanity because of everything that they have done. So that is why he is number seven on the top 100 book comic book villains list. I mean, when you're down for global genocide, I guess you have to make <laughs> at least the top 10. And Ra's has been around for more than 700 years, and he's been able to do so because he uses the Lazarus pit. So as we mentioned, this pit, taking his name from the biblical story of Lazarus, is this often greenish liquid throughout comics and animation that allows someone that is close to near death to be rejuvenated back into their prime, which he used constantly. Unfortunately, depending on the state of the person that was put into the pit, it does lead to to madness occasionally. So this is usually based off of their current state or sometimes their overall personality. So if you get blackout drunk on a bunch of Mai Tais (laughs) and get in the pit, you should be fine. But if right. <laughs> you get blackout drunk and fall onto a spear, you might not want to use the pit. <laughs> yeah, and we get to see Rachel Ghoul kind of grow to become this being. I He probably did drink a couple of Mai Tais at some point, which is why he's <laughs> able to keep his sanity when coming with it. But we do see him get a little crazier a lot of times. And he's always been there. At times, they've changed the story to the point now where he was... Uh, a mentor for Batman. He was the one that kind of trained him. That's basically really coming from the Batman Begins storyline. There's some iterations of it that come up in comics a little bit before, some after, mostly after that. But we get to see this entire family now that's dedicated towards global conquest, not for the sake of they want to rule, but they want to make the world a better place. Is it misguided? 
yes, we see it play out in Roz wanted to eliminate the entire world. And he saw Gotham as one of those places that echoed a need for cleansing. With Talia, she had these big shoes to fill because here she is, the firstborn daughter of this criminal mastermind throughout all of time. And now she has to become that leader of this League of Assassins while being born into this whole world that she personally has a connection to with her love interest to Batman and also the fact that she's also raising a son. And last but not least, we have Damian Wayne himself. He's the new kid on the block. He's the new Al Ghul. He knows that he has this title waiting for him. But at the same time, he's learning so much with his father that he has to change the way of his own thinking. And the comics never really saw that in these first four comics that this story is adapted from. But we see it play out a lot more, not only in the comics, but in the future films that we're going to talk about too. Yes, now seeing Son of Batman, I'm excited to see how Damien evolves and learns how to become more human. This is a great start for him. I think as a whole, great introduction for Damien. Not a great showing for Talia, but we've talked about that to death. It's a pretty solid getting to know Damien movie. So if you don't know Damien, definitely start here. This is a good movie for you. How crucial is it in the grand scheme? We'll let you know. One thing we can let you know is what we're covering next time. Put on your swim trunks or your swimsuit or nothing at all if you're into swimming naked because we're headed to the throne of Atlantis for our next go around. Another team up movie. We're going to see a bunch of our favorite heroes and a guy is going to probably talk to some fish. Until then, keep on listening for the recommended reading as we go through the history of Ra's al Ghul, Talia al Ghul, and how their lives intertwine with Bruce Wayne to create Damian Wayne Robin and bringing him forth into this new 52 reality. Take care and we'll see you next time. Drink a Mai Tai. Now that we've finished talking about our DC animated content, here are some recommended readings for you. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. The first comic on our list is Batman and Son. This collection includes the four issues from the 2006 story arc by Grant Morrison and Andy Kubert that were used to introduce Damian Wayne and create this film. To prevent spoiling future DCAU films, we recommend stopping at Batman number 658. Next on our list is Batman's Son of the Demon. This collection by Mike Barr and Jerry Bingham features three stories that will explain why Ross sees Bruce as the heir to his title and the only man deserving of his daughter Talia. Last on our list is Batman Birth of the Demon. This collection by Dennis O'Neill and Norm Brayfogle has the most comprehensive origin story of Ra's al Ghul and his connection to the Lazarus Pits. That's all for our list. Thank you for listening and be sure to rate, review, and follow yet another DC animated podcast. Also, interact with us on social media for news on upcoming content. Take care and we'll see you for the next issue.